You're listening to sermons from Church on Bayshore in Niceville, Florida. Our mission is to do whatever it takes to see people believe in Jesus, belong to God's family, and become who God created them to be, impacting the world for Christ. To learn more about our church and to find additional resources, including ways to connect, serve, and give, visit churchonbayshore.org. We praise God for the way that he has shown himself to the Bush family, and uh, we praise Jesus for Riley's baptism today, and yeah, we can clap again. That's all right. And we thank God for Noah, and we thank God for the time uh, that your family has been here with us. We'll be praying for the Bushes as they head out uh, today. Um, but uh, really, what a, what a challenge that is to us. You know, as Christians, uh, we call ourselves pro-life, and that means that we are people who care about every individual that God has made. And I just think about all those families who feel like going to church is something that they really can't do because of the burden they have, and we're called to carry each other's burdens. And so one of the things we can do is be a part of this Bayshore Buddies ministry that we have, uh, where we assign someone to each of these uh, children to help them engage and uh, just feel loved and valued and appreciated. And so if that's something that you have questions about or you might be willing uh, to even do, you can email uh, our children's minister, Lucas, at Lucas at Church at Lucas at Church on Bayshore. You get what I'm trying to say. Lucas at Church on Bayshore.org. You can stop by the boat uh, to find out some more information. Uh, but certainly, uh, we would love for people to respond to that. And then just by being a part of children's ministry and having good ratios where we're able to focus more attention and time on each of our children uh, being engaged in the word of God and knowing how valued they are. Uh, that strengthens us as a church. And so, especially with PCS season happening, a lot of our families heading out and new families coming in, um, we would just, I would just encourage you uh, if you uh, would consider being a part of our children's ministry. Well, let me also mention that Tuesday is July 4th. We celebrate uh, our nation's independence and the freedom that we have on Tuesday. And as a church family, we have a big party. Uh, we have a community 4th of July celebration. And so uh, we'd love for you to come at 6 o'clock on Tuesday and uh, eat some free food and uh, bring people. And uh, there's activities for the kids. There'll be some testimonies, a uh, short program. And of course, uh, we will watch fireworks. So we'd love to see you there. And uh, as I think about July 4th, uh, I also think about a message I received from one of the pastors we support uh, this past week about how one of the wives of one of the pastors was attacked uh, this week uh, for sharing the gospel. And so we have this great freedom in our country uh, to uh, live out our faith. And I just wanna take a moment and just ask, if you're here uh, in this room and you have served or you currently serve in our military, if you would just stand up for a moment just so we, uh, go ahead and stand up, uh, so we can show you how much we appreciate you and the freedom we have. Thank you so much. If you're visiting today or watching online for the first time, we're so glad that you're with us. We'd love to connect with you. You can stop by one of the welcome tables on your way off campus this morning, or if you're online, or if you just don't wanna stand in the heat that long, you could text the word connect uh, to the number that you see on the screen, and one of our Connect team members uh, will follow up with you this week. Uh, let me just also say something to our church members. Uh, we've had a, a heavy few weeks here at Church on Bayshore, 
And uh, I praise God for the incredible sense of unity uh, that we have as a church family. Uh, however, uh, we realize that some are s still processing through uh, this. And so with that in mind, I wanna invite any members of our church who think it would benefit them to join us at 1215 in room A105 today. Uh, and you could just come and go and ask any questions that you might have. Uh, and we're gonna pray uh, together. I also realize this is a holiday weekend. So many of you uh, who have questions or need just to process through some things may not be able to come today or may not be here today and you're watching this online. I just wanna assure you that myself, our other pastors, our trustees, our deacons are always more than willing to answer any questions that you have if you reach out to us. I, I just wanna take a second and remind you of our leadership structure. Uh, we don't have any one person operating in any leadership vacuum. Uh, we do have pastors who God calls here and ministers who God calls here, but we also, uh, through the appointment of our congregation at our town hall meetings, have trustees that work alongside the pastors uh, to oversee several ministry areas. Uh, the trustee chairs make up, excuse me, the trustees make up uh, the leadership of our ministry leadership teams, which are made up of members of this church body, stewardship, overseeing our finances, discipleship, working alongside Pastor Michael in all of our uh, discipleship ministries, our personnel team, which oversees uh, all personnel decisions, our community outreach and evangelism team, and our missions team, with work, which work alongside Pastor Justin to make decisions and to work uh, to accomplish the things we are called to do. And of course, our deacons, who have a close relationship with our pastors, uh, who help protect the church, uh, work on unity and deal with special uh, things that happen. So this is a group of people who are working together, uh, called to do what God has called us to do. And I just will remind you of that. And the last thing I'll say about this is as far as me, I have never felt more loved by God than I do right this moment. And I've never felt more loved and supported by brothers and sisters in Christ than I do now. And I've never, had more confidence in the word of God than I do right now. And so with that in mind, let's go to the word of God together. Ephesians chapter three, verse 20 and 21. After Paul prays in Ephesians chapter three, he concludes with this. These two verses are a doxology. A doxology is an expression of praise to God. And in Ephesians chapter three, verse 20 and 21, Paul says this, now to him, who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. Pray with me. God, you are able to do more than we expect of you in this moment. And so we submit this moment to you. And I ask for you to have your way in and through us according to your power. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Our vision as a church is to do whatever it takes to see people believe in Jesus, belong to God's family, and become who he has created them to be, impacting the world for Christ. As we go about that vision, accomplishing that mission, mission we have five discipleship essentials. Worship, grow, serve, give, and reach. We believe 
that if we as followers of Jesus Christ and then collectively are doing that, it will strengthen us and enable us to accomplish this mission and vision that Jesus has given us. And so for the next five weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to look at each of those essentials through the lens of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. As we think about our vision, as we think about our structure, as we think about our strategy, as we think about our goals, we need to think about this very thing, that God is able to do far more abundantly than we can even ask him to do, that we can even think about him doing. And so today's aim will be to talk about this essential of worship. And I'm going to wade through these verses here, these two verses, and talk about what really worship is and how our worship should be guided. And then we'll close by looking at three elements of corporate worship. And this really sets up the rest of this series because all that we do as believers flows from worship. Now, when I refer to worship, I refer to it the way Jesus uses that word. John chapter four, verse 23 and 24 says this. Jesus says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. There are two Greek words used here that are important to a Christian's understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. The Greek word pneuma, which means or is translated spirit, and the Greek word aletheia, which is translated truth. The idea that we worship in spirit puts the emphasis on the fact that worship is not constrained to a physical location or a physical time, but rather worship is something that happens from people who are connected to God through the Holy Spirit. The Greek word aletheia means truth. It means that truth is not something that is arbitrary or left up for our determination, but it is something that is defined by God himself and is best captured in the truth, Jesus Christ. When I refer to worship, I also mean it the way Paul uses it. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Drawing upon this idea of bringing a sacrifice to the Lord, the Apostle Paul says, worship is offering our lives as a sacrifice to God. Worship is saying, have your way with me. It belongs to you, God, and I know this by the mercies that you have offered. This is what I mean when I talk about worship. I do not mean a production experience or traditional experience that gives you the feels. These things can facilitate worship, but they fall short of worship in and of themselves. And they can be used or manipulated by those who are leading. And they can be used in error by those who are participating. When I say worship, I mean submission. I mean reverence. 
I mean the idea that there is a king who we recognize his power and his authority and his kindness towards us. And we respond with submission and reference, reverence. John 4, 24, in spirit and in truth. Romans 12, 1, our bodies as a living sacrifice. And Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. So now let's walk through these verses to understand really what the essence of Christian worship really is. And I wanna talk about four things that guide our worship of God. Four things that guide our worship of God. The first is this. God's ability to make things happen for us far surpasses our ability to ask for or understand those things. I'm gonna repeat that. God's ability to make things happen for us far surpasses our ability to ask for or understand those things. Paul begins by saying, now to him who is able. Is able is the Greek word dunamai, which means power. Paul is referring to God's power. He's referring to God's capability. God is capable of, well, anything. In scripture, we see that God can create and God can destroy. That God can stop the wind and calm the seas. That God can open the barren womb. That God can end life and God could raise from the dead. Here, Paul is specifically saying that God has the power to do far more abundantly. To do, poieo, to make, to bring forth. It means that he can cause it to happen. When I was about age 19 to 21 in college, working this job that was going pretty well for me, me and some of my friends have a motto, and the motto was, make it happen. And so what we meant by that is like, hey, if you wanted something, you made it happen. As I look back on that 20 years ago, I think, what a dummy. <laughs> because there are so many more people that could make it happen more than I could. There are people who have way more connections than I did. There are people who have way more intelligence, who are way more skilled than I was and able to make things happen because of that. There are people with way more resources and money who are able to make things happen. And so if I look at myself then and even now in comparison to them, they have so much more ability to make things happen than I did. And then there is God who can supply all of our needs, who can heal who can move mountains. And I'm just listing some things that God can do. And the praise of Paul here is that God is able to do far more abundantly. More is a word that means huper, or sorry, that it's Greek, huper, which means that someone is able to do something and it's 
really usually translated on your behalf. So if that word is there, it's, and you see that in the New Testament, somebody is doing something for you. And then he says abundantly, or a word that would be translated as beyond measure. And so together, more abundantly means beyond measure on your behalf. God is able to make things happen on our behalf far more than all we ask or think. Translating this phrase from the Greek can be a little complicated, but I would say this. All we ask for or pray for and all we understand. Here's what Paul's saying. You have things that you ask God for. You have things that you understand about life and that God is able to do something on a level that you don't even know to ask for. God is able to do something on a level that you don't even comprehend. So when we worship, we say, show me your will, Lord, recognizing we might not even understand what could possibly be his will in this moment. When we face a decision and we start running through all the scenarios, anybody out there like me get scenario sickness sometimes? There's things that God can do that we can't even conjure up in our mind. that are unbelievable to us in our finite understanding. And when there is a difficult situation or difficult person that we are facing, God is able to do something that we could never think would be possible. And so when we worship God, it must be centered around this idea that we come to God understanding that God's ability to make things happen for us far surpasses our ability to ask for or understand those things. Let's keep going in this text. He then says, according to the power at work within us. According to, this is why, this is how God does this. And then he uses the same word for power, dunamai, and says that power is at work within us. So the very power that describes our God is also at work in us. In Ergea, it means at work. It means something has been put in us to bring about a result. So you might ask, how do I see God at work in my life? How can God do these kind of things in and through me. Well, I'll remind you of what we talked about two weeks ago. God takes empty vessels and fills them with his power. Paul says in Ephesians chapter three, verse seven and eight, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul acknowledges, I'm the least of all the saints. And yet God has given his power to work in and through me. If you're here today and you are longing for something bigger than yourself, you are longing to see God at work in your life, might I suggest that what might be missing in your life is nothing is coming to the place where you realize you really 
don't bring anything to the table except for yourself. And that is precisely what God wants you to bring to the table. An empty you ready for him to do his thing in and through you. And so you say to God, have your way in me. In Acts chapter one, verse eight, Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. In Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, Jesus says at the end of that Great Commission, and I will be with you to the very end of the age. Let me just ask this. Maybe the reason you don't experience the power of God is because you aren't emptied for his will and on board with his desire in your life. Maybe you keep coming to God asking him to do what you want him to do instead of asking him what does he want you to do. Maybe you're the king asking him to serve you instead of saying, I'm the servant here to serve my king. And so one of the things we must realize is that, and when we worship, we think about this, God works for his glory through us. God works for his glory through us. If we're offering our life to him, it's not about our glory, it's about his glory. Paul says, to him be the glory. God is for his glory. And God strengthens you by and for the fullness of his glory. This is what God wants to do in your life. But if you read the scriptures, you'll find out that his glory is actually for our glory. And so what God wants to do in us is better than any glory we could give ourselves. Now to him, who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. God is working for his glory through us and that needs to be a central aspect of our worship. Third, God works for his glory through us in the church which is in Christ. God works for his glory through us in the church, which is in Christ. You may wonder, why do you say that he works for his glory in us, in the church? Well, because if you keep going in verse 21, it says, in the church. In the church, the called out ones, the ones who assemble together for his purpose. God's power enables the church to show the world the wisdom of his purpose. Back in verse 10. And 11, the apostle Paul says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God has always wanted a people through which he showed the world his wisdom. Last week, I talked about this idea that God is creating this beautiful or maybe a couple of weeks ago, this beautiful painting. And he is using brushes to make this beautiful painting that displays his glory. Those brushes are us. Now, sometimes, I don't know about you, but I feel like the brush that a kindergartner's had in his hand and they've been pushing down too hard and so the, the bristles get all messed up and frizzled and there's paint all over it and maybe I'm broken and there's slobber all over me. That's what God does. He takes broken brushes 
and paints this beautiful picture of his glory. That's what God wants to do through me and you. That's what he wants to do through the church and all of its brokenness. And he says, and in Christ Jesus. So the church is in Christ Jesus. Now, that seems like a no-brainer, right? That if I were in the church, it would be in Christ Jesus. But I'll remind you of the little boy who his parents overheard praying one Sunday night who said this, thank you, God, for letting me go to church with my family. I just wish you had been there with us. Look, we can go through the mechanics and the religious motions, but be about our glory. We can be committed to the church and it really be about how we want to feel. We can be people who are devout and yet the world is where we take our cues from instead of the word. We can be people who think I am greater than the collective than people who submit to the community of Christ. This is essential for understanding God's plan. We have a diagram that'll just explain this very quickly. The big circle, these aren't three separate circles, we have a big circle. The big circle is Christ. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end. All things were made by him and through him and for him, Colossians 1, John chapter 1. It's all about Jesus. He has chosen to have a church that is found in him where his glory will be on display. And if we trust in Jesus Christ, then yes, Christ's spirit is residing in us and we find ourselves in Christ, but God for all of eternity caused us to be found in the church in him. And perhaps this is the challenge for you. Now let's be clear here. There have been movements, institutions within history that tell you the church is the authority. And so the gospel isn't central. The scripture isn't the authority. It's what the church says. This is separate from God's design in his holy scriptures. And then reactive to that, there have been many in a Western culture who operate as rogue followers of Jesus apart from the community of God. But this is what God has called you to. Find yourself in the church in Christ Jesus. So I wanna wanna give an invitation now. I'm not done. We're not singing just as I am after I said this and leaving. But I wanna give the invitation. Perhaps this morning, you have never found yourself in Christ. You long for purpose and meaning and value and you have never been seen in Christ Jesus. And I'll quickly summarize who Christ Jesus is. He has existed since the beginning of time. He humbled himself coming to earth, born of a virgin in a miraculous way. He lived a sinless life and he died on the cross willingly becoming sin on our behalf. And he rose from the grave, promising resurrection to those who believe in him. And he ascended to heaven, where he sits on the, right to the, on the throne at the right hand of God, 
than where he is one day returning triumphantly as king. And you might have questions beyond that, but that is real to you. Trust in him today. But perhaps you have found yourself in Christ and yet you continually fail and struggle to see the way that God wants to work at your, at life, at, in your life. And here's why. You're not committed to the church. You're not committed to a Christ-centered, Christ-saturated community of believers. And today, it's time to start doing the one another's. It's just time to start obeying your Lord and be a part of a church. And I invite you to join our church today. We actually have to go through some classes, but you know, to make the intent to join our church today. Third person I wanna say this to is maybe this has all been a part of your life in the past and maybe because of your own sin or because of real church hurt, you've been disconnected from this and you miss it. Trust in him. Renew your commitment to Jesus and to being a part of his church. All right, the last part of the doxology is this. Paul says, throughout all generations, there's an emphasis here on an intergenerational focus, the responsibility of this being what's happening from generation to generation. One of our values here is that the priority of every generation is the next generation. This needs to be important in our life. Over the past few months and years, I've walked through some hard things with godly men who are a generation and two generations ahead of me. And let me just say to you, if you're here today and your head is completely gray, I can't say not gray because it's there, and you don't have older men or older women in your life, you're very foolish. And I know that may sound harsh, but I'm concerned for you. And let me say this, if you're older, whether that's about my age and you see this generation coming behind you, or that's in the generations that God has granted in his grace to live longer, pour out into the next generations. This is how God has designed it. And he says forever and ever, because eternally we get to see the praise of his glory and God wants us to live this life. He wants to worship us to worship with eternity in mind and the desire for the generations to see what eternity really is. And then he says, amen. May it be. And that's why we say, amen. In Jesus' name, amen. Second Corinthians 1, 20 through 22 says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to, the God, to God for his glory. If you wanna know why we say, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. It's because all the promises of God find their yes in him. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. And who has also put a seal on us and given a spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So we pray in Jesus' name. It's not a magical incantation, like if we eat pizza and we say, 
God, make this food healthy in Jesus' name, that it's gonna be like a salad. Or that if we you know, have money and we need more and we say in Jesus' name we're gonna have more money or just because we mentioned Jesus at a wedding where we haven't really in any desire sought him out that it's gonna bless it. No, but it's because we know that all the promises of God find their yes in him. And so if it's according to the will of God our Father and we bring it to Jesus, he's gonna give it to us now. And if he doesn't do it right now, it's because in eternity we will find our yes because he is able to do far more abundantly than all we can think or imagine, than all we can ask or imagine. And so when we pray to God and we worship God, we need to have this in mind, that eternity is where the yes is, and we want people in the here and now to live for that. So my fourth thing I would say is every generation has the responsibility to pass down the truth that transcends generations to the next generation. And a part of our worship is saying, God, how will you use me? How will you use my generation to ensure that the next generation is caught up in what is eternal? So these things guide our worship. God's ability to make things happen for us far surpasses our ability to ask or understand him to do these things. God's work, God works for his glory through us. God works for his glory through us in the church, which is in Christ. And every generation has the responsibility to pass down the truth that transcends generations to the next generations. Let me close with three elements of corporate worship. This isn't another mini sermon. I just want you to be informed how and why we should worship. Number one, When we worship together, there should always be proclamation of the word of God. Proclamation of the word of God. The grace of God is known through revelation of God. Paul said in verse three through six of this chapter, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. When we worship together, the gospel must be central to what we do. The good news that the gospel is available to the Gentiles. The gospel is available to all. And we must be centered around the scriptures that have been revealed to us first through the apostles and the prophets. The word of God must be central to our worship. If we gather together and we have a great time of singing and energy and feeling good, but we've barely looked at this, we are not worshiping the way God has called us to worship. And it's not just about the pulpit and the pastor and the songs being doctrine line, it's about you in community. It must always be centered around the word of God. I want, I want you to think about the Christian's life this way and church this way. Our goal is not to beautify God to a world who thinks he's ugly. He's already beautiful. Our goal is to magnify God for the beauty that he possesses. We don't need to make him look cool or make him palatable. We just need to present him. Because he is glorious, and if we will lift him up, he will draw men to himself. This is central to worship. Number two, prayer for the will of God. The purpose of prayer is for the manifest wisdom of God's grace to be known. Paul's model of prayer here for us is great. Verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, 
from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with his power or his power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. We ought to be praying for this to happen. This is my conviction as a church, we need to take more time to be still and to exalt Jesus and exalt our situations to Jesus. Number three, last thing, praise to the glory of God must be an element of corporate worship. I'll go, I've been looking back, I'm gonna go forward. Ephesians 5, 19 and 20 says this, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord your heart. Giving th- with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm gonna be honest with you, I can't make a melody musically. I actually really don't even know what a melody is. But here's what I know. When God's people, called by his name, in humble surrender to him, praise him together, it is a beautiful melody to our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, in heaven, the word of God will be among us. We will experience the will of God in its completion. And the fullness of God's glory will be our delight to behold forever and ever. And so right now, in light of that expectation and in light of the life that we live, we desire to exalt him as a foretaste for that to ourselves and to those that don't know him. C.S. Lewis says that in the process of being worshiped, God communicates his presence to men. In the process of being worshiped, God communicates his presence to men. That's what we want. We want to surrender to him. We wanna bring our desires to him. And we want his presence in our life And when we come to him, we say, we trust in what you're able to do. Johnny Erickson Tata, who was paralyzed when she was 17 years old, became a quadriplegic, cannot move her arms and her legs for the rest of her life, was asked about heaven one day, and this is what she said. When I finally rise on resurrected legs, you know what the first thing I'm gonna do is? drop down on grateful, glorified knees. That's worship. To say, God, here's where I am, here's what I need. I need you to intervene, but God, what matters more to me than anything is your glory and your goodness. And whatever you give me, I bring back to you because I know who you are. Why don't you stand with me as we prepare to enter into worship? Ephesians chapter three, verse 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And God's people said, amen.